Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Voices of the Festival. How are you doing? Thank you for joining us live or uh, in recorded. You know, you can catch it at YouTube and Instagram. And here is Mr. Billo, ready to go. So I'm going to invite Mr. Billo. Uh, I mean, soon he will join us. And uh, you know, it's always a little uh, scary the first time. There you are. See, it was easy. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> uh, if you could put the camera a little lower, so so you are more centered in the in the in the picture, will be great. There we go. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Every time I use a different medium of technology, it makes me a little bit nervous, but um, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> and, and to be honest, every time I start one of these lives, I also am a little nervous because you never know what's happening and, and your life, right? So it's like, um, um, there's, there's no way to rehearse it. And uh, it's just, uh, okay, here we go. Hopefully it works. Sometimes, you know, sometimes some people have low connection or something happened with the app and, but you know, it always works. And uh, see how this goes. Uh, oh, that's great. So, so it all, it's, it's, at the end it always works and, uh, and it's, it's good that, okay, that's good. Uh, so how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, getting things going in Savannah because, right. you know, um, COVID kind of postponed this project officially and unofficially for a couple of years. So um, I'm glad that it's moving forward and coming to fruition. Right. And uh, the project that, that Michael is talking about is uh, the premiere as a complete double bill of our two shows uh, based on, on Savannah characters and um, personalities and real people, which are um, Alice Riley and Anna Hunter. And where uh, we had premiered the single shows in the past and finally we are presenting them together as part of our 10th anniversary season and we're very happy and very proud to finally do this show inspired in Savannah um, by our composer in residence and our libertist in residence also and, uh, <laughs> and this is Alice Riley and Anna Hunter premiere uh, together as a double bill in, in one evening. Actually, we're going to do it twice. And, uh, and that's uh, the project that um, we are presenting this summer of, of Michael's. And um, tell us about, since we are already talking about it, uh, tell us how it, it came uh, to be that um, first uh, you became our composer residence and that these two projects um, came to life. Well, to go a long ways back, yeah. um, in yeah, about 1981, oh. I was on the staff of what was then called the Greater Miami Opera Association and is now called the Florida Grand Opera. I was a, you know, we're a rehearsal pianist and um, got into the opera field to become a composer, but um, I really thought that the best way to learn about opera was not to listen to recordings and go to performances, but to actually do it um, and to learn it from the inside. 
And so there I was on the, on the staff, a very junior staff member of a very large opera company at the time. And I think about, I don't know, two years into that journey, uh, Cheryl Milnes is there. And uh, I got to meet him, um, work with him. He was, he was uh, you know, at the height of his career at that point in time. And honestly, I don't think he would have particularly remembered me. Uh, you know, I mean, I was, I, I mean, I didn't, we didn't pal around a lot, but um, I was certainly impressed with his, uh, his um, singing and musicality. Uh, I noticed way back then that, frankly, unlike a lot of singers, he always knew what was going on in the orchestra. And, you know, he'd sit there at a, in a rehearsal and a piano rehearsal and said, well, I'm listening for the oboes to go right here to come in. And then I, that's when that's, that's when I know it's time for me to get ready to sing. And so you always knew that he was very aware of uh, what was going on in the orchestra. And of course he has, has an instrumental background uh, as well as a singing background. And so anyway, a few years go by, and uh, in 1992, I became the artistic director of Opera Memphis. And a lot of people who are younger don't, don't realize that I ran an opera company for nearly 20 years. I ran, I ran Opera Memphis from 1992 through 2010, um, always artistic director and, and for much of that time, uh, general director as well. And something I want to do again, by the way, <laughs> and uh, admire those who do, but uh, I've done my time as that. And, and uh, it, was, it was always still to learn how to write opera. And at this point in time, um, since I was the boss, occasionally I would subject my company to my own work. I mean, not often, but, you know, two or three times during that course of uh, 18 years, we, we did some pieces of mine and, um, of course, some school shows as well. And I wrote a, uh, in the, in the mid-90s, I wrote a, a sequel to Puccini's opera Gianni Schicchi, the uh, very famous uh, comedy uh, part of the Tritico. And as, as you know, uh, particularly at that era, uh, people didn't particularly want to do the other two works. Now, it's it's absolutely true now that uh, Sor Angelica is very, very popular. I would say almost as popular as Skiki, uh, in part because it's it's an opera that gets to have so many women on stage and uh, uh, need operas with lots of women. Um, and anyway, at the time, By the way, was, I'm I'm, uh, I'm here in Morelia. I mean, actually, let me show you where I am, uh, just a little bit, uh, you can see this is, right, so this is not in Kansas anymore, and I'm here doing Skiki and Angelica, I need to mention that. So. Oh, well, that's wonderful, that's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, let me teach you, I'm here in my basement, um, <laughs> no, um, so anyway, uh, anyway so the opera, and we were auditioning for that opera in, and um, ran into um, uh, and heard a young singer named Maria Zuvis, um, who I hired to sing a Lauretta in this double bill of Johnny Skiki and Buozo's Ghost. Was that the premiere and of Buozo's Ghost? 
I mean, yes, uh, Johnny Boyzo's Ghost is my my sequel to uh, yeah, no, but Johnny's. Was that the, 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 the premiere of the of Boyzo's yeah. Ghost? Oh wow! Yeah, so it was. It, it was. It was, she, it was, she it was the, in that production. Yeah, it was the premiere. I mean, it was it was a joint premiere. Uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Opera Center did it first, uh, and then Opera Memphis did the uh, uh, kind of the the pro professional premiere, if you'd like. Right. And then uh, what what happened is that. Uh, you know, we were in rehearsals, and who shows up backstage at my middle size opera company? Cheryl Mill. There's Cheryl Mill backstage, just palling around in my in my theater, and and you know, not and and, and we knew that um, you know they were they were I think uh, married um, at the time, and 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 but but we didn't really expect her to him, him to be there, but there he was, and so um, uh, Cheryl uh, the ended up singing a couple of uh, galas for us at Opera Memphis and our um, relationship was reestablished. So to, to bounce forward to, um, I guess, 2013, 2014, around the beginning of the festival, um, I think Maria and Cheryl were always very interested in figuring out how they could get new work to be part of their of what they did at the festival. And, um, and that was really at a time when I would say new work wasn't as valued as it is now, but um, they, they were thinking ahead about wanting to have that to happen. And so um, they, they, uh, we began a dis discussion about how, you know, how I could join them, how I could uh, be part of that. Uh, they, um, and that's how the first opera, uh, Alice Riley, uh, was was really started and when you think of savannah those of you who know savannah will associate savannah of course with the historic squares and the beautiful historic character that savannah maintained but also you will associate savannah with ghost stories um if you go to savannah and we'll walk around Savannah at night. You see all these, you know, reconditioned hearses going around. And if you were around the cemetery, you can see people, you know, uh, touring the cemetery. So Savannah is a ghost story town. And, you know, what are ghost stories? Why do we have ghost stories? Ghost stories have a tendency to have something to do with our guilty conscience of our of our subconscious of 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 bad things that have happened in the past, and so what Maria did is she handed me a book, and I actually have the book right here. I'm going to put it in front of my face. <laughs> All right, oh, let's see. You see that? It's called uh -huh. the historic haunt of the and it was and it was written by um, uh, Linda Sickler and Michael Harris, uh, and it's a, it's a it's a book of the various ghost stories that were, you know, that, that are famous in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, uh, they, they 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 said, well, why don't you look at this book and pick pick one and let's see if we can turn it into an opera. Uh, and lo and behold, the very first ghost story was Alice Riley. Alice Riley. There you Alice are. Riley. And what happened, um, and please please let me know, Maestro, if I am talking too much. No, 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 this is fascinating. No, no. All right. All right. Uh, so, so back in the 1730s, 
when the colony was very, very young and had just been founded by uh, General Oglethorpe. Um, what happened was there was a ship that had gotten blown off course, uh, a ship from uh, the England that had been blown off course. It was a ship that was supposed to go to Philadelphia, not Savannah. But in those days, they didn't have a lot of control over which way the wind was blowing. And the, they got blown off course, and they ended up in Savannah. And the ship was filled with uh, indentured servants, Irish indentured servants. And if you know what that is, uh, when someone is indentured, it's a, it's a form of debt, uh, an old-time form of debt where someone would have to work off this debt for a certain period before they could be officially free. And these uh, people were, uh, were, were signed up for these indentures, or sometimes their family signed them up for these indentures for some money. And then they had to go work these indentures off as, you know, servants or farmhands or what have you. And at the time, um, uh, being Irish was not a desirable thing to the members of the colony, and they weren't. They were, there were people in the colony who didn't really want them to to stay. They wanted them to to, to go elsewhere. But Oglethorpe decided that he would um, go ahead and deal with these indentures, and these these folks were allowed to come ashore. And one of them was the main character in this show, Alice Riley. And another one was uh, uh, Richard White, who was another indentured, young indentured servant. Um, and apparently what happened is they were, they were accused of killing one of their masters. And this master was a, was a um, mean guy. Um, and not that he deserved to be killed, but he was, he was, a, he was a difficult character. And what probably happened is that Richard killed the master and Anna, uh, Alice was around when it happened. Um, and so she was, she was guilty to some degree, but perhaps not guilty enough to be hanged under um, contemporary law. Uh, and as it turned out, Alice was pregnant uh, when all of this happened and probably by uh, uh, Richard. Um, uh, and so they let her have her baby. The authorities in Savannah uh, let her have her baby. And then a few weeks later, they hanged her. Uh, and so uh, when we go back to talking about the guilty conscience of, uh, or something bad, I think that um, in some way, uh, this is something that Savannah never probably felt good about. And, uh, Alice became one of those ghost legends. And when I first was working on this project, I went to Wright Square, which is one of the famous squares, pretty, it's one of the active squares in Savannah. And you'll see all of these old uh, oak trees there and you can go around and there'll be sometimes three or four different people who want to tell you the story of Alice Riley. <laughs> and you can, you can hear three or four different versions of Alice Riley, some which were pretty wild, like, you know, Alice was in jail and she was, she was, I don't know, sleeping with all of the men there. I mean, I've, I heard all sorts of wild stories. And then the, the one that, that, that they pretty much all say is that if you look up at that tree branch over there, 
where there is no Spanish moss, that's where they hanged Alice Riley. And now, now these, these squares were apparently just cleared for uh, um, uh, livestock to feed on. So there, those, those trees weren't there, but it still makes a, it makes a great story about yeah, right. what maybe happened. And the truth is, I think we have a couple paragraphs in the annals of, of Georgia the historical annals to act that actually tell what happened. It was, it was a report that was made to Oglethorpe who wasn't actually in Savannah when it happened. And so a lot of what we did in the opera was to make things up. Um, so this, this is loosely based on the Alice Riley story. Right. That, that's, uh, we'll talk about Hannah, Anna later, but let's, let's continue with, with Alice, which is fascinating. How do you go, so, so you got all those facts or, or accounts, I mean, we'll know, we don't know how much, I mean, there are certain factual elements, obviously, that the, the hanging and the, and the baby and the indenture and the person that was killed. And, and uh, uh, so how do you go by creating a dramatic, entity because uh, opera needs to be dramatic right so and and what is drama drama is contra contrast and and change and you know evolution so how do you go by um what's the process of the libertist to create a dramatic uh work well it is storytelling and storytelling is simply your act of imagination. And I increasingly uh, give credit to my background in uh, playing role-playing games in college. <laughs> I, this, is, this is something I used to never, ever talk about because if you, you talked about it, people would look at you sideways and go, what? You did that in college? And whereas now, if you, if you go to a group of young singers and say, who plays, has played role-playing games? or who still plays role-playing games, you get a lot of hands up and people say, oh yeah, I played this, I played that. Well, I played Dungeons and Dragons, which was the, the kind of granddaddy of them all a long time ago when I was in college. And when you're doing that, you, you are effectively making up a story collaboratively with a bunch of people as things go along. And of course, it's got to be dramatic, right? And you've got to slay the dragon, or you've got to escape the ogre, or you've got to, uh, you know, uh, fight the enemy. So it's all these very dramatic kinds of stories. And so I think some of it has got to do with a background and kind of going, okay, well, here are the facts. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got this Alice Riley character. We've got the fact that Oglethorpe wasn't there. Oh, but maybe, well, Oglethorpe wasn't around, but he was really um, a powerful figure at the time. So maybe Alice wrote to Oglethorpe to say, oh, would you please, could you please, Oglethorpe, give me a pardon so that I can grow grow old with my baby. And so that became, you know, one of the, the big arias in the show that um, Jessica Ann Best sings as, as Alice in the show. So it's a, that process of, of kind of imagining uh, what if, what if, what if, what if, um, um, 
John Kander, who I, I know a little tiny bit, you know, wrote Cabaret in Chicago, uh, has described to me that process with Kander and Ev is just that they, they, that's what they would do. It's like, what if we did this? What if we did that? What if we did this? And that's to me, um, what, what I do when I do the story, storytelling part. And the storytelling part is the key part. Uh, once you got that idea that, for example, that, that Alice is going to write to General Oglethorpe, well, Alice probably couldn't write. She was probably illiterate. So, oh, we need to have a notary there. Uh, and then, okay, well, then she's dictating this story to this, this, her, her feelings to a notary. And then that works great because there are a lot of things like that in opera where the opera is dictated to a notary. The, 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 the song is dictated to a notary. So, um, oh, and so, so it's a process of kind of filling in the blanks about how something might work. And once you've done that, if, if you've got, it going on in your mind, the music actually almost writes itself because you've got it already figured out how it's going to work. And so, you know, okay, jail cell. She's in, she's in the jail cell. She's writing from a jail cell. So it's got to be dark and dismal. Uh, and yet there needs to be this ray of hope and optimism that comes through because she wants to uh, be around for her baby to grow up with. And so the, all of a sudden, that's, that's actually got you all set up to write the music part. And so uh, the storytelling part is really the key part. And I worked when I was young, but before I was at um, uh, the Florida Grand Opera, I trained at the Houston Opera Studio for a year with um, the great American opera composer, Carlisle Floyd. And he was uh, so based in the storytelling. I mean, he, he, he just didn't want you to write a note of music until you had the story figured out. Um, and so even though I'm not that extreme about that anymore, I really do feel like the story is the key part to writing the music. Wow. By the way, Jessica is here with us. Hi, Jessica, uh, Benjamin, and everyone else. Oh, hi, Dan. We'll see you soon. Yeah, beautiful comment coming from Sheila Barton. Thank you for joining us. And he says, she says, hi, Michael. It's so nice to hear you. I'm loving here uh, all you're telling us about your opera. I can't wait to see it in August. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah, I know, I know Sheila from uh, Amarillo, actually. Oh, I'm already, hey. We can talk about that, yeah. <laughs> um, one, uh, so, so, but there's a difference between the story and the libretto because the story, you can say, as you said, you can say uh, Alice tells a letter or talks to someone, but in a libretto, people, you only really have words of what people say. Very rarely you have an actual narrator that is actually telling what's happening. You need to come up with something that people will say that gives you the idea to what they think and they want to do, which is very different. Is is one thing is say I went to the store to buy a coffee, and another thing is, oh, good morning, may I have a coffee? Right? So they are very different things. Uh, how do you go by into creating a actually written which people 
you choose your words to say what, what that they say and they, they give us enough information to know everything that, uh, to, to get the audience to know everything that you need them to know. Well, I think using your example, it's not too hard to get from I went to the store to get a coffee to hi, may I have a coffee uh, or, or I'd like a I'd like a soy milk latte. Like if, if you if 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 I say to you, hi, I'd like a soy milk latte, you probably would automatically assume that I'm in a store ordering a coffee and coffee and, and unless it's some kind of weird thing where I've I've come down the stairs after a, um, a sleeping at your house and I'm I'm an arrogant little jerk and I'm come excuse me do you have a soy milk latte and, and then that's a whole different story it's a whole and it's an interesting story but it's but it's a different story and so um also I would say um Shakespeare and Greek tragedy are very useful uh, basic structural tools for opera. Um, the kind of thing where there is the door, uh, I'm going through the door kind of thing where, where in, in older theater, they did not rely on a lot of realistic stage scenery. And so they kind of narrated what they were doing while they were doing it. And that's a very useful in opera because in opera, uh, our listening, our, our, our comprehension of the text goes down. I mean, and we can argue about what the ideal amount is. I don't know. It, it, ideally, we should be able to understand 80% uh, of the words or 100% of the words. Or, or, and, and I'm a little bit of a pessimist and, and probably believe we can probably only understand 40 to 50% of the words, even under the best circumstances. And okay. what you don't want to have is you don't want to have the audience always going like like this, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're looking up to see the super titles all the time, yeah. because even though super titles are beautiful and necessary and wonderful, um, and I actually am old enough to to have been before super right. titles, so that's a whole other story. Right. Um, uh, you, you don't want the audience to have to do that all the time. And so you want to make sure, for example, there is redundancy. I mean, that's the one of the great things about bel canto. I mean, bel, bel canto has all of that redundancy in it. Um, and that allows you to, okay, there's, there's only 30 words in this aria, and I've, I've heard them, and then once I start to rehear them, I can relax and, and be uh, inspired um, and find the emotion in the beautiful music and singing that is going on. And redundancy is one of the things that um, tends to be lacking in a lot of contemporary opera. And, and uh, people just, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this, this page music and, you know, it's just going to fly right by. And, um, and then the audience is like, well, what happened there? Or, or either that or they're, they're, spending, they're, they're, all that, they're spending all that time looking up at the supertitles. And so we have to be careful and, and, you know, we try to be as careful as we can uh, to tell the story in a way that we don't lose the audience. Uh, and the other things uh, that I think are important are, are rhyme, when you, can, when you can use rhyme. I mean, there's, there's much more rhyme in Anna Hunter than there is in Alice Riley because Anna Hunter is a comedy and, and rhyme fits somehow better in comedy than it does in um, this dark, tragic story. But there is some rhyme in, in uh, Alice uh, Riley as well. And Alice, the other thing that 
I think that is fun and important that I almost always try to figure out how to do is I always have to say to myself is, why does someone in 2020 or 2022 or whatever it is the year in our time care about what happened back then? And so uh, I ask that question uh, to myself, like, why do why will audiences care about this Savannah ghost story? And so I quite often like to provide a storytelling framework. And Anna, uh, Alice Riley has that storytelling framework of because uh, it starts with a bunch of people that are talking about contemporary Savannah and singing a sort of Chamber of Commerce song about Savannah. And then there's this tour guide that comes up, uh, who in our production happens to be Cheryl Mills. Uh, and so you, you pay attention because there's Cheryl Mills talking to me on talking to us on stage. And then so, so it's Cheryl Mills uh, as a Savannah tour guide in 2022 telling us the story about what happened in the 1730s with this uh, famous Savannah ghost named Alice Riley. And so I like to provide those contexts when I can. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned something uh, the, um, about the libretto and the repetition. And of course, uh, if you think of, of Baroque opera, but, but also in, in musical theater when we had the refrain and things like that. So Baroque and the, the beginning of opera have very little text in their areas. And then we move into um, Verismo and we have pretty much the idea of, of making it like a movie so in which we don't repeat text. Um, and you're you are a bit in the middle uh, between the, the realism moving, uh, movie quality of time change and the formal element of, especially of, of uh, American theater, um, of which is, is a formality of this piece starts, this piece finish. How, how do you go by in terms of uh, the, the conception of the music itself? And I will ask you about music later, but right now about following through with, with that formality that you were mentioning about the repetition of the text. Well, I'm a huge fan of the numbers opera. And that means, you know, uh, opera up to middle Verdi. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that I think opera has taken a wrong turn. It's just, um, it is a turn. Uh, and I think the numbers opera is a very useful structure for audience comprehension um, because the audience is subconsciously able to go, okay, we are in a, we are in a song and I can listen to this music a little bit differently in the way I process the text, or I am clearly in something that is, uh, uh, say recitative or scene that we're trying to uh, achieve uh, some movement of the plot. Uh, and I think, I mean, numbers operate, it hasn't disappeared. It's uh, just one of the choices that you make when you write, when you write. Now, uh, Wozo's Ghost, for example, that my Johnny Skiki sequel is not a numbers opera. It is a, a 
you know, like you say, a movie style or Verismo style of um, more or less through composed kind of approach. But um, I do think when composers write, it's good for them to kind of make a conscious decision about whether they are writing a number or uh, or a through composed kind of style. I also happen to have a fairly short attention span, which is one of the things I like about Savannah Voice Festival. I really love about the fact that Savannah Voice Festival events tend to be on the short side. Um, in other words, uh, when Savannah Voice Festival does Romeo and Juliet, we are not sitting through all of all of Romeo and Juliet. We're, we're sitting through um, a highlight reel of, of Romeo and Juliet. And so um, I, I think that these two operas, which are both fairly compact one acts, um, it's actually a rather long evening for a Savannah Voice Festival project because it is these two one acts put together, but it's still um, uh, pretty concise. Um, and because of my short attention span, I have to admit, I, I, I have yet to successfully um, uh, drink the, uh, the Kool-Aid on Wagner. I, I, can't, I can't get through it. I, I mean, I, I, I've literally paid embarrassingly large amounts of money for tickets and, and found myself asleep in the second act. And, and, and so it's, it's got something, I think, to do with my, my just natural attention span. And um, we are in an era where I think we all would admit our attention spans were getting shorter. Uh, we can have a long conversation about the fact that in the 18th century, operas were not meant to be paid attention to you uh, and with the same level of attention that they were expected to uh, in, uh, say, the era of Wagner, Strauss, and Puccini. Uh, it's a different, different way of listening, and it demands much more of the, of the audience. Um, but that's a that's a that's a side that's a sidetrack for another conversation. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, then, uh, in terms of the, the the writing of the music, I I always say that in 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 opera, but in general, in in, in dramatic music, but I will say opera, um, the the music is not the vessel. The music is the actor. If I change the music, I will change how the character feels how the character behave, how do we feel about them, what they feel about what they're saying. So the music is, is, is not just a nice accompaniment to the lyrics, it is the actor. So, um, and you, you give us a hint already how you, you know, when you say, I want that moment to be dark with a ray of hope and blah, blah, blah. So how do you um, normally uh, process your, 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 composing your choices, your, uh, how you get the tune or the intention or blah, blah, blah. How, how, that, how you compose? Well, I feel like a lot of the alchemy in creating a successful operatic character is based in the melody. And I would say that First and foremost to me, uh, very early on with the lyrics uh, comes some kind of melody and basic harmony. Uh, and that is just so important to me that, that, that every piece have lots of recognizable, not recognizable, lots of melody that, they, that, that somehow fits the emotion of the character and the emotion of the words. So 
to me, if if I if if a piece doesn't have if an opera doesn't have a melody or a series of melodies, I have I have trouble with it, um, and that um, uh, is not the normal way that we are approaching contemporary opera a lot of the times. Um, uh, there are some famous contemporary composers who, who, who really don't appreciate or like or use melody. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't use it in terms as a tool. But to me, uh, I think partly because I was in the opera business as a, as an arts administrator and, and on, on, you know, assistant conductor, conductor, uh, the, the, the melody part is so crucial to the, the regular audience. I mean, the regular audience is how, how do you get from, uh, I don't know, um, La Boheme to contemporary opera uh, if it doesn't have at least some melody once in a while? Um, and so to, I, I, I think, for example, with certain kinds of specificity and real depth of character, I'd rather go see a play or read a novel or watch a movie. Uh, because I, I think that the the level of detail and depth that you can get from one of those mediums is is frankly superior to what opera can do. But what opera can do is, in a very specific kind of way, really draw you in emotionally to a story and a character in a way that is unparalleled. Uh, but I think that is what it does well. Is, is character and emotion and not necessarily storytelling. Now, if you think about it, um, you're, you, we all know that I'm actually most well-known now for this opera called Speed Dating Tonight, which is nothing but short character stress sketches. It, it is nothing but these series of, you know, now 90 plus short character sketches. And to me, that is what opera does well, is these, 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 this, this character. And it's not that opera can't tell a story, it's just uh, opera, opera can't tell a story with a lev the level of detail that, you know, a big 300 page novel can do. And so I don't think it's a good idea to, to try to write a novel in an opera. Right. You know, you got to kind of keep it, keep it simple, keep it straightforward. Um, now, you know, we're all composers and the next composer who you talk to might, might come along and say, I have a completely other different feeling about that. But um, my, my feeling is that it needs to be simple, direct, emotional, uh, and melodic. Great. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, um, and tell us about, about uh, the other one, which is Anna Hunter. So how did that come? Through because yes. So when I when we we did Alice Riley in about 2014 2015, you know, it took a couple of years to get it going. We have some workshops and we we um, remounted it. And what what that did is it got me the opportunity to look at Savannah because we always knew from the start that it would this we would we were shooting for a couple of one acts that would kind of create a nice full evening. Uh, and so what happened is that I just started looking around Savannah. And one of the things that you notice about Savannah is Savannah is 
a really cool old city. It's amazing. Um, and most cities don't look like that. They're, they're really only a handful of cities in, I mean, they're really only a handful of cities in, in North America that have a kind of old time historic character. And so I, I think I actually toured the Davenport house one day, uh, you know, which is the, where it kind of all started and realized that the, that there's something in here about the Davenport house that might make a really cool, you know, comic opera because we didn't have Alice Riley is very dark and sad um, and, and a bit of a tearjerker. And we didn't, you can't, I personally didn't want to follow that up with another one in that same character. And so um, we had the chance then to, to look at the idea of, of, Anna Hunter. And the, the, the nice thing about Anna Hunter is that Anna Hunter, there are people who you know that, that knew Anna Hunter. I mean, or people who, who walked, who were around and, or who, uh, you know, remembered people who knew Anna Hunter or, or any of the other uh, seven ladies who, I've got another book here that's got a good, good, good picture of the of the seven ladies that, that helped save Savannah. Um, there, it was a group of uh, seven ladies. Um, if, I don't know whether, whether you can relate to this in, your, in terms of your own uh, personal background, but America went through a period of time where um, new was considered better. Uh, and and, and this, was, this was very much true in the 19... Uh, 30s and 40s with city planning and um, America was trying to turn itself over to the car and uh, in order to do that it needed you know more freeways and uh, it needed it, it had imagined the freeway and the parking lot and all of those kinds of things that would help make a city better uh, uh, as a place of commerce and industry and certainly a lot of cities gave themselves over to that but Savannah, um, in the in the forties and fifties, uh, there was a movement to do that. But what happened was uh, enough people realized, in, including this group of seven ladies, uh, uh, led by Anna Hunter, uh, decided that realized that what was unique and beautiful and interesting about Savannah was not the fact that it could become a great. I don't, I don't know, a great seaport, um, uh, but it was that it could could retain its beautiful historic character. And so um, that's what happened, is that um, these, the, this, the, the group of people, which, which included plenty of men, by the way, um, uh, they kept Savannah from basically paving over all these historic squares. And I mean, you will, you, you know, from your own experience of Savannah, there is this one place where the old city market was that is now this kind of plaza area. And um, um, well, they, I think they wanted to do that or something like that with, with most of the, of the squares. And if they had destroyed all the squares, you know, there people, people I don't think would want to go see Savannah anymore. I mean, all that, that area would just look like, um, I don't know, downtown Jacksonville or Atlanta or uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, or any number of, of just um, rather generic um, modern American cities. Um, and so it was a crucial moment in the history of Savannah. And um, 
as my luck would have it, it was done by women. Uh, and uh, I think you know in what's going on in our field is that our field needs more operas that have female protagonists. Um, you know, and and lots of female supporting characters to go along with it because our traditional repertoire is is fraught with or not I mean, has lots of pieces like La Traviata or Tosca where there's one or or two I mean what Tosca has one female lead right and then that's it you know uh, Traviata has two right there's Flora and there's Violetta. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so you know, and you even and you think of a of a oh, you think Carmen is having a lot of women. Well, there is Carmen, there's Frisese and Frisquita, and then there's um, um, Michaela. That's only four. That's a lot. But then when you think of all of the men that are in Carmen, it's just like nine or ten men. And um, and so opera has been notorious. Uh, as has you know a lot of other kinds of theater uh, in in having all these male characters, but our field is very much populated by by women. Um, there there are so many um, so many more women in the U.S. for whatever cultural reason that want to sing, that do sing, and that study opera, and so the the there's a great need for operas that have lots of female characters and I have signed a sort of pledge to myself never to write an opera that does not have more women than men okay. I mean I just it's that's a little 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 pledge that I that I have that I have signed in my head that I, I really don't want to write an opera about that, that doesn't have more female characters than male characters. Now, part of me is, is practical because I like to get performed and an opera that has more female characters is simply more likely to get performed. But to get, to, 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 to get back to the story, um, the, um, Anna Hunter was a reporter for the, the Savannah paper at the time. So she knew what was going on in the city. Uh, she had a lot of contacts. She was actually a single mother because her husband had died uh, young, younger. Um, so she had a, a, a somewhat of a difficult uh, time as well. And she was the one who um, really catalyzed this movement for historic preservation, which um, had as its uh, sort of key point, the destruction of the old city market in um, uh, Savannah. And at that point in time that they, they kind of felt like, I mean, I literally say this in the, in the show, it was the last straw. And um, they, they realized that if they didn't get their act together to, for example, to preserve the, the old Davenport house, um, it was just gonna be wrecking ball, wrecking ball, wrecking ball, parking lot, freeway, shopping center. And, um, you know, American architecture, uh, of that sort is just honestly awful. I mean, we, we build things to be that to to tear that we, we build things that look new for a few years and then they look shoddy in 20 years and they need to be torn down and, and, and rebuilt again. And so uh, this older planned, beautiful planned city, um, by preserving that city, uh, it has really made Savannah uh, the success it is today. And 
uh, we at Savannah Voice Festival are, are lucky to be able to work in a city that has that kind of character uh, and just to be inspired by it on our walk to work or our, our, our bike to work in the summertime. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it to me uh, was such a fun thing to learn about Savannah uh, in that middle 20th century period where I could talk to people. Um, I mean, like the, the Krulik's, uh, you know, introduced me to people that, that, that knew Anna Hunter or knew the, the story. I mean, it was, it's, uh, there are, uh, we know people who own Anna Anna's paintings, um, you know, at the premiere, the family, the, the part of the family came to the premiere. And so it's a lot of fun. You know, there, there, there are, there are no, um, there are actually no descendants of Alice Riley because um, we don't go into it in Alice Riley, but the baby actually died a little later um, and, and didn't live. But uh, you know, there there are there are people um, who are related to Anna Hunter and the Seven Ladies who are, are are walking around the streets of Savannah, and their children are certainly. So it's a it's a fun thing to be able to have created something that is um, very much in line with the way Savannah feels about itself. And how do you? So we talk about how worthy her her actions and and all the ladies' uh, intentions were. But how do you how do you create the story out of it? Because the the story is totally different from that. So how do you make how do you came up with the story and create these progress characters and 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 all this extra? Because yeah, there's a lot of characters in it with a lot of situations and uh, so how do you when specifically in, in Anna Hunter, how you, how you created your libretto and your story and your big arch first? It was the same thing that um, I mentioned for Alice Riley that uh, we took a contemporary character, a tour guide who wants to, you know, figure out what her present, she wants to make a presentation. Uh, it's, it's her test presentation. And if she passes this test, she can become an official tour guide at the um, uh, at Davenport House. That's the, the little premise. Uh, and she's all nervous about it, and she's not sure. She, she, she tries out kind of various attitudes about how she's going to give to her, and they don't seem right to her. And then this, um, this you know, spirit um, of Anna Hunter, Hunter um, who happens to have been painting outside because that's what Anna did. She was, you know, painting the Davenport house or whatever, comes in and, and tries to help her. Um, and so it's got this sort of ghostly premise or this spirit premise uh, that is that is effectuated. And then at that point in time, um, uh, Anna, if, you know, in, in the previous version of the opera that was done in 2017, based on the architecture and structure of the Davenport house, uh, we imagined Anna pushing her down the stairway and she bonks her head, she passes out, and then the rest of the opera is a kind of vision of what, of, of a flashback um, of, of what happened in the 40s and 50s. Now, the, the new Davenport house gift shop is in the Kennedy Pharmacy on Broughton Street, so they've moved that. So we have to, we have to, we have to slightly tweak that a little bit so that um, I don't know. Um, Anna's going to cast a spell on her, or tap her on the head, and she's going to pass out, and then we're going to kind of go go through the storyline that way. So the, I, the we had to come up with a premise uh, again, like Alice Riley, that is that says to ourselves, "Why do we care about this today?" 
um, and that seems to be um, that 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 is both of those operas have effectively that kind of premise. All right, and um, and and what what hmm. we know we know obviously the in in Alice that we care about mothers being killed and uh, and injustice and mistreatment. What do we care about? Uh, in in Anna for an opera. Well, I mean, we it's it's very different. It's very different. It's love of place. Okay. Usually in opera, it's love of someone else. But um, this is definitely a story about love of place. And you know, um, I think we can all relate to love of place. With there are all places that we love and places that we cherish and places that we go on and go and go back to. Um, and it's just an unusual uh, thing for an opera to be about love of place. And she, in fact, the main song she sings, which is called "Keep Savannah Savannah," is a song about love of place. Um, and it, it literally goes down and say, oh, you know, I see this in Savannah or I see I see that in Savannah. I, I, remember, I remember all these beautiful things about Savannah. And whatever you do, young lady, uh, as you become a tour guide, um, you know, we need to work hard to keep Savannah the way it is. Um, and that's so so it is it is unusual love of place. I mean, I I mean, there are other there are other songs uh I mean, William Bolcom's New York Lights, for example, is a good example of something that's about the vibe of New York. And um, there, there are plenty of other things. Um, uh, Renucho's Aria and Skiki is it about... There you go. Perfect the, example. Uh, well, pride of, of Florence. I mean, there's no doubt about it's all about Florence. So. Yeah, perfect example. So it can be done. And if it can, can be done by the best, then I can try it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much uh, for, for being with us. It was fascinating. Uh, we look forward to, to mounting these two operas together and, and, uh, and present it to the audience of Savannah and hopefully later to, to the world. And uh, thank you, Michael, for being with us. Thank you for all your music. Thank you for being with us for those, all these years. And, uh, and thank you for being here today. Any words to, to our audience and say... Well, I hope people will come see these two operas together on the 12th and 13th of August in the evenings uh, in Savannah. And I am really looking forward to seeing my Savannah friends in August. Yeah, we are actually thinking and planning, well, hopefully we'll do the work of creating a, a, some kind of uh, offering in which we'll do a little tour of the squares and uh, an explanation of where Alice and, and, and where Anna Hunter started all the actions and then moving into, uh, into the theater and, and see the show. So hopefully it will be a whole package of, of um, Savannah history and, and, and characters and, and tradition. So I think it will be very interesting. That's perfect. Yeah. All Thanks. right, see you, you later. Thank you, thank you, Michael. And everyone, thank you for joining us. And I will see you next Friday at, uh, to hear more about the voices of the festival. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye.